Welcome to the Travel Pulse Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Bowman, the executive editor of TravelPulse.com. Today is Tuesday, September 5th. Happy Travel Tuesday, everyone, and happy September 2023 is flying by. Wow, we, we got a great show for you today, though. We're going to be talking big news in the travel industry, and the return of football season is upon us. Go dogs! So which sports team are you going to travel for this year? Let me know, podcast at TravelPulse.com, or reach out on the hotline for the show. It's 201 381 3017 is the Travel Pulse podcast number. And now joining me on the show is Jason Gewertz, executive editor and publisher of Sports Travel. Jason, welcome back to the show, man. How you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me again, Eric. Appreciate it. Yeah, always a good time to talk uh, sports as well. That was where I first broke into the media world. So nice to bring it back with uh, the travel sector here on, on the podcast. So Jason and I are going to discuss football's massive impact on the travel industry and the latest changes on that front as football returns and makes headlines for travel-related things as well. So, But uh, first, before we get into that, we're going to, as we do for every episode, in case this happens to be the first time you're listening to the podcast, we're going to dive into what's been trending in the world of travel in the last week. And we begin with a uh, Labor Day recap of sorts, if you will. It was a busy one. Uh, Labor Day is, you know, the unofficial end of summer, so to speak. And it ends the busiest summer on record for TSA. So TSA revealed that the travel volumes during 2023 summer travel period are higher than in 2019, Marking the busiest summer on record, Friday, September 1st, saw 2.7 million passengers in one day. Monday saw 2.6 million passengers, so it was close to the 2.8 million that's been the highest so far on the year, and that was on June 30th, right before the long July 4th holiday weekend that we had. So, you know, can summer 2024 top it? I don't know. Does the momentum continue for the next wave of holidays to finish out 2023 with Thanksgiving, Hanukkah, Christmas, and New Year's? Christmas and New Year's are on a Monday this year, for people who don't know that off the top of their head. Uh, I had to look that up as well. Uh, a lot of people are going to fly out the Friday before those holidays, though. But uh, Jason, your thoughts on the, this travel momentum here and um, passenger volumes increasing? Yeah, I'll tell you, it doesn't surprise me. I wasn't traveling uh, myself this past weekend, but I have been traveling each of the last three weeks. And where I live in Denver, I've noticed a, a pickup just at the end of the summer. I mean, the security lines have been longer. The traffic volume just seems more. Um, so none of this is a, a terrible surprise to me. It kind of fits with what I've been seeing on the ground the last couple of weeks. Yeah, summer's been booming. No surprise. And I think the momentum will definitely carry over to the holiday time. We'll have a major uh, busy holiday travel period. So if you haven't booked your flights yet or, or anything travel-wise, you really need to get on that. And uh, 2024 summer surpassing what 2023 has, you know, that'll be interesting to compare next year. But I do think this fall travel season that's coming up, we're going to talk more fall travel in next week's episode but i think it's going to be not much of a shoulder season this was as uh, projected out there i think it's going to be pretty busy and then a lot of people you know not wasting their their pto out there and making sure they're getting their vacations and even if they are a little small weekend ones i love it yeah i think so too jumping over to air travel a little bit more in that sector we have an adults only section on a plane is apparently going to be a thing this is a corindon airlines will begin testing out a new premium adults only zone for travelers 16 and above beginning this november on flights between amsterdam and curacao so jason your thoughts on an adults only section on a plane do you think this could ever work with a u.s airline Oh, I don't know. I mean, Eric, you and I are both parents, so you know how, how that yeah. goes. I kind of divide my traveling life into before child and after child. Yeah. I think my before child life probably would have been into this kind of thing. Uh, my after child life, I just have a much higher tolerance level for what it takes to travel with kids. 
and uh, I don't mind it. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I can put up with just about anything. So I don't think I would currently buy the adults only, uh, you know, section on a plane, but my, uh, my previous self probably would have been into it. Yeah, this is intriguing on some different levels because we have so many naughty passenger stories out there and just craziness. And I, I feel like an adults only section would just kind of amplify a little bit more of the like, oh, you know, this is adults only, like let's party type of atmosphere, which you mm-hmm. certainly will have on some. So I don't think this will ever happen on a U.S. airline. Maybe <laughs> one of the budget ones, I guess. I don't want to say ever. Yeah, never say never or whatever. But maybe I could see one of the budget ones. As soon as I said that, I was like, actually, you know, yeah, a, yeah, a budget I, airline would probably probably jump on that. <laughs> I could see it. Whether I'd buy one is a different story, I guess. Yeah, that uh, I don't think I would pay extra for that. There's no worries on, on my part with, with kids and traveling. I'm I'm looking forward to taking my nine-month-old son. Well, he won't be nine months at the time, but uh, our, his first flight is coming up uh, in a month from now, so it'll be 10 months, second, oh. and we're looking forward to that. Uh, my daughter is three and a half, and she's flown a number of times and has been itching to get back on a plane and talks about planes, and she loves hotels, too, so we've, we've done a couple of drive trips where... She's got her hotel fix in, but I'm getting little travel babies on here, and I'm, I love it. You know, more people should should, should travel with their kids. So I, I don't yeah, I, I agree. That's the way it should be. Exactly, and this adults only section is uh, maybe just a fad, maybe just a little uh, budget airplane side of things. But uh, I would love to know your thoughts, listeners out there. Podcast at travelpulse.com. Let me know what you think about an adults only section on a plane. Jumping over to destination news, Jamaica launched a new entry rule. This one was clicking hot over the holiday weekend about their new rule because it launched on September 1st. So travelers must now complete the online form at www.enterjamaica.com before arriving. Jason, online forms, I, th- I feel like they should just be set up everywhere. Like that should just be seamless process. Like let's just get this travel experience so much easier and yeah, use technology. I kind of agree. I'm, I'm surprised that it isn't more prevalent everywhere it's uh you know almost surprising that this is news just because it's it's different um but yeah why not i I think that just makes life so much easier yeah i was in jamaica last week i filled out the form it wasn't a mandatory thing but now they're the message that they're putting out uh to a lot of travel advisors that we were with last week in jamaica and then the interview i did too they they're pushing out that it's a mandatory thing and it's going to make the travel process easier i mean i breezed right through on all the stuff um upon arrival so hopefully that will you know get a little easier i I yeah, I did hear some like a bit of a chaoticness upon the over the weekend a little bit in Jamaica's airport, but uh, hopefully that gets worked out. In other destination news, according to IWG, um, these are apparently the top workcation destinations. Say that five times fast, right? Uh, so it's Toronto or Toronto, Barcelona, Beijing, Milan, and New York as the top five. So Jason, as someone who travels a lot for work, what are your thoughts on this list and? There's a full top 10 we, you can check out on travelpulse.com for the listeners. But just that top five, I guess, what's your thoughts there? And any uh, what, what cities have stood out to you for work trips? Sure. Uh, two of those five, I did uh, work trips uh, this year, Toronto and New York, although I've got family in New York. So we often do um, you know, workcations, if you will, when we're visiting uh, family in and around New York City. So that one, um, yeah, it's easy for obvious reasons. It's just easy to get around and easy to, to do your work there. Uh, we did an event in our sports division for North Star in London this summer. My family came along and uh, it was mostly, you know, a, a leisure trip for them, although my wife got some work done uh, as well. And so, you know, London obviously is another great city to do that. Everything's set up um, and in this new world where you can work from anywhere those those larger metropolitan areas um why not i mean it's uh it's easy enough to find some place to hold up for a little bit and then go out and see some stuff so uh, i like that list um i have yet to do any workations in barcelona or 
Milan or some of those other cities on the list, but the love to if I got the opportunity. Yeah, they'd be great destinations for that too. Part of the survey too said that over two thirds of workers surveyed believe that they can effectively perform their jobs from abroad. So more travel related uh, workations are on the horizon, I feel like. So I, New York uh, is no surprise that this is in the top five. I'd put it higher, but that's um, a bias preference for me, I guess, because that's where more of my work trips have been, I guess. But um, that's the only U.S. destination that actually made the top 10 on this list, which I think may be slanted yeah, a bit a- by some of the respondents being more apt to travel overseas and make their workations related to international trips on that. But um, could be. Yeah, I, th- I found that interesting. Though that was the only top U.S. one. Yeah, I, I do, too. I mean, obviously, there's plenty of uh, U.S. markets that would easily fall on this list, it seems to me. Yeah, Miami is a great one. I love Miami. Los Angeles gets, you know, a lot of pub. It's, it's so many different, you know, neighborhoods in that area and region of, of different pockets to to experience. And uh, I did one. Um, Seattle is a great uh, destination, too. Oh, yeah. I know that that's on the rise for a lot of travelers out there. And even better to flat out vacation in them if you don't have to work. Yeah, that, w- that would be nice, right? <laughs> a lot of people coming off vacations at the end of summer at Labor Day here. So if you have any fall travel plans, I'd love to hear from you. Podcast at TravelPulse.com. Let me know what you got coming up trip-wise. And that really wraps up what has been trending in the world of travel in the last week or so here. Any additional thoughts, you can drop me an email at that line or give us a call on the podcast hotline is 201-381-3017. That's the Travel Pulse podcast number. Give us a ring. So now we're going to jump over to our theme of the week, and that's on football's changing travel scene. Jason, leader of sports travel here. First, like we got to dive in and we got to talk about college football first. I mean, that's the the conference realignment has really dominated the headlines in the uh, football world there. The Pac-12 is is pretty much gone as we know it, which is funny because they had a really great opening weekend there, but um, all the, <laughs> yeah, all the major schools, 80 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All the major schools have uh, departed for the uh, big 10 or uh, big 12, although they really need to work out their numbers and all that. But as we yeah, look the at the travel, right, exactly. Right. Where's that going to happen? So, but as we look at the travel impact here, what is the sports travel impact on this uh, big conference changes? Yeah. I mean, Eric, for those who don't follow it closely enough, obviously, you know, the major college football programs uh, traditionally have been aligned more or less by region, you know, uh, whether that's uh, the Atlantic coast or the Midwest, or you mentioned the the PAC 12, uh, mostly on the Pacific coast and the mountain West. And uh, that's just been blown up in recent years, but especially uh, within the last few weeks alone, as the PAC 12 sort of imploded on itself and its teams went off to, um, you know, what, for in some cases are very non-traditional areas so the the latest one last week was cal berkeley and, and stanford you know joining the atlantic coast conference and so those are teams mostly on in the southeast i mean virginia north carolina florida you know that region and so from a travel end uh we we look at it uh, at our magazine sports travel kind of in in two buckets one are the teams that actually have to travel with their athletes and so imagine if you're say an athlete in Stanford and you're used to playing teams up and down the West coast. Now starting next year, you're going to have to take those trips to North Carolina and and Virginia. It's a major travel impact. Um, And, you know, those teams of course uh, also have to go West and have to figure out 
ways to do that. Uh, Oregon and Washington are another example. You know, they join the Big Ten, and those programs are mostly in the Midwest, but they go as far east as Rutgers and New Jersey. And so now their conference games, uh, same deal. It used to be, you know, a relatively short trip to San Francisco or L.A. or or Denver, you know, where I live uh, for to play in Boulder. Uh, now those trips are, are way east. So uh, enormous travel implications for the teams that I think uh, they're largely still working out. And then, of course, the fans of these teams, um, you know, in some cases, they are used to taking a traditional trip every year, every other year to a, a market that they've been going to for years. And now um, it's a whole a whole bunch of new markets, you know, that they can go to. So that's an opportunity for a lot of cities. We write about that as well from a destination marketing end. You've got the opportunity to market yourself to an entirely new fan base, but it's a little bit of a question mark. I think for some of these college towns that are used to relying on certain fan bases, traveling and traveling well. And now the question will be, well, what does that look like moving forward now that the teams are kind of playing everyone all over the place? Yeah, it's going to be intriguing on on the fan side too. Uh, is how many you know future trips are aligned here, and we've already seen you know some uh, every when we see it every uh, fall that it comes on. You know, new new routes added by different airlines. So you're going to see some interesting routes added too as part of this conference realignment aspect of things. And I'm all for it. I love I love it. I know it's kind of weird, you know, cross country aspect of it, and it's no longer regions. It's super conferences or whatever. But it's it's more travel, and I think it's a a chance for a lot of football fans to get out and see new stadiums and you know that that just puts more uh dollars in these uh different economies out there no for sure my own alma mater university of colorado is one of these schools that's going to be shifting next year so uh we're personally looking at trying to figure out where our travel plans will be come next season oh do you have a a destination or a team spot that or a stadium or whatever that you're like like, we got to get to this one I don't know. You know, CU played this past weekend, of course, in Fort Worth against TCU. Big victory for the Buffs. Go Buffs. A little plug yeah. for my team. Uh, but, you know, TCU is uh, in Fort Worth is now going to be a conference rival you know, in years to come. And that's uh, a stadium I've never been to. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't go this weekend. I kind of wish I did. Um, but, yes, uh, you know, that one's that one's kind of on the list, uh, Eric, because I've never I've never been there before, at least for a game. At TCU, so those kind of markets are intriguing to me. You know, Colorado years back used to play against a number of these teams that they've now joined again in the Big 12. So I've had the chance to go to, uh, you know, Lawrence and Stillwater and some of the traditional campus towns uh, in in that conference, and they're terrific. But uh, I'm looking forward to the ones that I haven't been to. That conference next year, as we've been talking about, Eric, I mean, will include uh, not just the Midwest schools, but, you know, UCF and Orlando and Cincinnati and West Virginia. There's all kinds of intriguing markets now that are suddenly conference rivals of, of my own team that I've never been to before. Yeah, bouncing around. Yeah, as a Georgia football fan here, I'm excited that Texas and Oklahoma are coming in. So those are two new markets I've never been to. Austin, Texas. It's been on the list. Uh, had a potential conference to go to it uh, last year, but then uh, my son came. So it was paternity leave time, and I loved shutting down travel during that time. But, you know, looking forward to eventually getting out to Austin, Texas one of these days, whether that's during the football season or not. It's always been on the list. And looking forward to, you know, Oklahoma, I guess, one day just for the experience, because that is, you know, kind of a powerhouse football program. It's not something I probably would have had on my radar before. But, you know, if my team's playing there and stuff, then, yeah, I'm down, I'm down to go. And that, that's going to be happening all over the country. coming up. Yeah. And one quick point on that, Eric, I mean, we're talking about football, of course, but these conference realignments, they affect most of the sports on a campus. So we're talking travel, you know, team travel, not just for football, but you know, I mean, yeah. work your way all the way down the line for volleyball, softball, all those Olympic sports as well. So when we, you know, when we think about the travel implications for these universities, it's not just a football season, um, you know, for one game here and there, these are uh, a ton of sports and uh, just a ton of travel that needs to be worked out logistically in the, in the months and years to come. 
Yeah, that is someone's uh, tough task ahead on figuring all the logistics on that side out. But yeah, that's very that's a very good point. It's not just football. It's uh, some of these Olympic-based ones, too, that uh, don't get enough uh, publicity that they should, though. So jumping over to the NFL side now, the most watched sport. You know, first, let's talk about the Super Bowl because it's uh, around the corner. It's going to get here faster than you know it. Football season always flies by. I, I don't love saying that, but it is the truth. <laughs> uh, it's going to be an insane one, though, come February with it being in Las Vegas. So big events are already shaping up. So, you know, get your travel plans set now, honestly, if you want to experience that, um, even if whether you're going to go to the game or not. I mean, it's, it's Vegas. It's going to be a spectacle for sure. So how wild do you think Vegas is going to be for the Super Bowl? How big of an atmosphere? Are you, uh, yeah, as, as big as it gets, Eric. You know, first year that they've hosted the Super Bowl, of course, you know, the NFL has just done a complete 180. Uh, it hasn't been that long ago that the NFL didn't want anything to do with Las Vegas. Uh, before sports gambling became you know legal nationwide and you know we saw it in our own event we organized uh, an event called the teams conference and expo that's our annual event when we used to do it in las vegas um you know the nfl wasn't even allowed to send anybody to speak at our conference wow. and now here they are with a team uh, in las vegas <laughs> and they're hosting the super bowl and i saw last week too they unveiled uh, the new nfl themed slot machines that are going to be uh, starting to pop up in vegas so when i saw that one i'm like they have completely come full circle uh, at this point. So uh, Vegas does everything big, you know, as we know, I, I expect that to be the case. They've already had some initial uh, press conferences to talk about what that's going to look like. And the footprint's going to be enormous. It's, it's going to be a party atmosphere as it always is. Um, but Las Vegas uh, does things the way Las Vegas does. So I think we're going to see some, some new bars set this year for sure. Yeah. And the massive amounts of crowds, it'll be, the, it'll, oh, yeah. yeah, it'll be, it'll be intense. Um, so if you don't love giant crowds, then uh, you, you want to stay away from Vegas that weekend. So um, as we talk about the NFL, though, and, you know, people from around the world, they watch the Super Bowl. I actually, watch, I was uh, one of those people. I was in uh, this last Super Bowl. I was in Portugal during the time. And, you know, it's nowhere near close to the level of popularity that soccer has for sure. But people still tune in overseas. And, you know, they had a channel set up and everything in the bar and people watch. So the NFL as a brand is really going global. So can you talk a little bit more about the NFL's global expansion and really football, you know, because college football as well and the global expansion there and the travel impact of that? Yeah, we're seeing it on both ends. You know, Notre Dame just opened their college football season in Dublin and they brought 40,000 you know, U.S. fans estimated went over to Dublin to watch that game. So we're seeing it in college football, but we're absolutely seeing it uh, in the NFL. You know, they've been hosting games in Europe, mostly in the UK for, you know, over t well over 10 years. Um, and this year they're expanding. They'll have more games than they've ever had. So three in the UK, two in Germany. Um, and they are being very deliberate about their expansion and where they're going. They're going into different stadiums, different markets, even within Germany. You know, they're opening up to new cities and destinations. And I think we'll just see that expand uh, over time. They're, they're being very deliberate about their global expansion. And you're starting to see the other leagues as well. I mean, the NBA has been playing, uh, you know, for years in Europe, the NHL, another good example of a league that uh, has, uh, you know, fairly well established. But now we're seeing it with Major League Baseball. You know, they were in London this year um, for a two-game series with the Cubs and Cardinals. Um, they were there with the Yankees and Red Sox before the pandemic, and they've already committed to being in Europe for the next five years with a regular season series. So, you know, everyone's kind of following the NFL's coattails a bit, uh, you know, when it comes to international expansion, but the NFL reigns supreme and, you know, their games sell out instantly when they're going to these international markets. Uh, they've got international uh, branding and marketing rights now for each team, you know, who are designated to different countries where they can uh, establish themselves from a marketing perspective. And so we're only going to see more of it, uh, Eric, and it's probably just a matter of time until we see a franchise 
based, you know, somewhere likely in the UK. Yeah, I was just about to say that it's got to be a number of years, but not too far off before we really get a team based over there. And that will be uh, very intriguing on how that is all set up. But there will be big travel implications upon that as well as, yeah, you know, I think the travel implications are probably the biggest hang up uh, at the moment. I think, you know, the infrastructure is there for sure for them to, to have that team. It's just a matter of the logistics and working it out. And when you start doing the math, I mean, uh, say a a team from the East coast going to London, it's not all that different from, I don't know, Seattle playing a game in Miami uh, when you start looking at the, at the math on it all. So uh, I have no doubt they'll find a way to figure it out, but we may be a few years out from that. Yeah. And that'll be, that'll be a fun time for sure. So as we, you know, talk football here, we, we we can't talk football without discussing the original football or, you know, soccer as it's referred to here in the U.S. But as we talk about soccer in the U.S., the world's biggest sport is what it is. It's the original football. Football is uh, it's coming to the U.S. on a global stage with the World Cup in 2026. So what's the sports travel updates here as North America gets ready to host uh, the biggest event in sports? Yeah, this is this is massive, Eric. Uh, you know, there will be games played in Canada, Mexico, and the U.S., although the U.S. has the majority of the games, as you can imagine. There are 11 destinations, you know, that have been awarded the rights to host uh, different rounds of those games. We're still waiting word on who will get the finals, although that, that should be coming pretty soon. Um, this is a ton of work uh, for all of these cities, Eric. There are already, you know, the, the cities that are lined up to host are pretty much having daily meetings at this point, even though we're years out uh, from those games. And even though they're only hosting five or six games, um, you know, in each market, the, the amount of logistics involved and working with an organization like FIFA, who is known to be fairly demanding uh, to put it lightly in their, uh, you know, requests, if you will. And some are not requests, some are demands of the, of the host cities. It is a, uh, it is a ton of work, but they've got the numbers to support it. I mean, uh, as you mentioned, the entire world is looking in, I think for a lot of these cities, uh, some of them are the usual suspects, you know, that you would imagine, of course, you know, the likes of, of New York and Los Angeles, but you've got markets like Kansas City that are hosting, uh, you know, games when the World Cup comes. And these are massive opportunities to raise the profile for these destinations when the world is is watching. I mean, the, of course, we know people will travel and I don't think there's any doubt that those games will all sell out, but it's uh, it's as much the eyes of the television world from around the world tuning in to say, you know, a game in Kansas City. Um, as an example, that uh, is just a tremendous opportunity for these places. So uh, it's huge. Uh, it is around the corner. It's going to come up fast, but there are things happening quite literally every day in these markets right now in preparation for that one event. Yeah, big win for Kansas City there. That's a, that's a huge. It's a great them. soccer uh, destination as well. I mean, they're doing amazing things, particularly in women's soccer. You know, they're in the process right now of building uh, the first stadium that'll be designated for a women's soccer team, um, entire new stadium, uh, separate from where the men's professional team plays in Kansas City. So that's a, an example of a market that's actually doing incredible things on the soccer front. That's amazing. So where do you think the final will get set? Uh, I don't know. New York is making their heavy pitch. Uh, Arlington, of course, uh, you know, Jerry World, where the Cowboys yeah. play, uh, they can seat over 100,000. Um, when you look, Eric, even at the at the specs that FIFA puts out for, you know, minimum size stadium, it's, it's just kind of an embarrassment of riches here in the United States. You know, in some of the countries they play, uh, Qatar, you know, as an example, yeah. the last one, you know, where they had to build venues just to meet, you know, 30, 40,000 seat minimums. We've got uh, a, a ridiculous number of stadiums, you know, NFL yeah. stadiums that can seat 70,000 plus, and some of them didn't even make the cut, you know, to host a, a game. So um, it's just incredible to watch that too. Yeah. Shout out to my city, Atlanta. Um, so hopefully absolutely make a plug for the, for the final there. But yeah, you mentioned Jerry world and that's 
I could see that. Um, maybe LA, but yeah, logistically and travel wise, maybe it's more East Coast might have it, but as far out west as Jerry World, uh, yeah, being that they can host the most is is probably an impactful on that one. So get your tickets set for for Dallas potentially. <laughs> yeah, there, there'll be games there for sure, one way or the other. Just a matter which ones. So as we wrap up the show here, Jason, any sports travel advice to our uh, football fan listeners out there tuning in? Yeah, just like uh, you were saying earlier, Eric, uh, you know, make your plans early uh, if you're planning to, to go to a game. Um, at least, you know, with professional football, uh, at least the schedule is a little more set. You know, college football, as you know, from some of the larger teams, if you want to travel, uh, they're not setting the game times, you know, sometimes until a week out for television purposes. It can make it a little tricky uh, if you're planning travel to a, a particular game to to figure out exactly when to get in and out. Um, but uh, like everything else, you know, plan in advance uh, the schedules. At least you have a rough idea of who's going to be home, even if you don't know exactly what time of day the game is playing. That's the case in the NFL as you get later in the season with these, you know, flex schedules for television where, you know, they, they have the rights to move a game in a more prime time position at the last minute. So, um, you know, some flexibility is key if you really want to go see your team play somewhere, stay the extra night. Uh, so you have that option at least. Yeah, great advice. Yeah, pack it in and enjoy as long of weekend as you can possible on that. Yeah, take, Sunday take games or you wherever know. you're going to NFL stuff. Just fly back Monday. It's no big deal. Like you know, you don't want to work on Mondays anyway, right? It's you know, <laughs> especially after watching an NFL game. Like, don't rush that for sure. Absolutely. So, all right, man. This has been great. I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy day here to uh, talk some football and some travel here in the early morning. Yeah, great to catch up with you, Eric. I really appreciate the offer. And uh, check us out at sportstravelmagazine.com. And as I mentioned, our team's conference coming up um, in a couple of weeks in the Palm Beaches of Florida, October 2nd through 5th. We bring the sports industry together um, and we have a partnership with the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee. So lots of uh, Olympic programming there as well. It's a, it's a terrific opportunity. Teamsconference.com is where you can find out more on that. Yes, definitely check out into that. And man, that's going to be a nice time to be in Florida. Yeah, it's going to be terrific. Looking forward to it. Great, man. Well, thank you for joining again. And that's all the time we have for this week's show. Tune in next week. We'll be talking a little bit of fall travel. And then later on this month, I will be on location in the Dominican Republic. Thanks again for listening. Have a great week. 